0: Thank you, Jamin, The words of Christ. So, well, our family uh, loves amusement parks, and uh, we especially love roller coasters. And you know, with six kids, we've we've had quite some experiences through the years. Plus, moving a lot and traveling a lot. Uh, but our favorite amusement park is Silver Dollar City in Branson, which we go to at least once or twice a year. It seems like, you know, for many years, and. Uh, And our favorite roller coaster, certainly in the top three, is one at Silver Dollar City called Wildfire, Wildfire. So I thought you might enjoy this 90-second little taste of what Wildfire is like, and I might mention one caveat. If you are squeamish with roller coasters, then you might want to look down and not watch the screen. But this is Wildfire, our favorite roller coaster. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> So that's, uh, that's one of our favorites, but one of my great joys as a parent has been watching each of our children go through the process of, of first, you know, being too small to ride roller coasters. They didn't meet the height requirement, but boy, they really, really wanted to because they saw their older siblings, you know, come off the rides and be excited and, and thrilled and, and you know, hooping it up. And then, you know, they would get tall enough to ride it, but they'd be too scared, Right. And so then they finally ride it for their first time sheepishly and hesitantly. And then, of course, finally, they would love roller coasters so much like the rest of us that they they would ride them all day and not even blink at the most terrifying uh, ones. But this experience of, of watching all six of our children learn to ride roller coasters provides a mental picture in my mind that I think illustrates the purpose of trials. So I'll pick on faith. I remember the first time Faith (coughs) rode a roller coaster, she sat with me, and every time we would approach a large hill or a sharp curve, she would lean in very close to me and grab my arms and hold on tight. You know, the, the scary parts drew her closer to her dad. Well, trials are a lot like that, aren't they? When the ride of life gets bumpy or scary or uncertain, when it takes that unexpected turn... It should draw us closer to our Heavenly Father. That's it in a nutshell. Trials should draw us closer to God. And really the writer of Hebrews has been saying this throughout this letter, that as the original recipients were facing intense persecution under the regime of Roman Emperor Nero, uh, they should draw close to the Lord. They need to stick close to Him. They need to keep their eyes on Him uh, because He will see them through. And we started this focused look on tests and trials last week with part 1, and we looked at chapter 12, verses 12 to 17, as part of this larger series on unshakable faith, trusting God in trying times. And certainly when tests and trials come our way, we need to trust God as much then as ever. Uh, And these original recipients were facing a testing of their faith. Would they endure, or would they give up? and abandon the faith, and revert back to Judaism. So last week we began this sort of look at navigating life's trials, just pulling some principles out of this section of chapter 12, and so I've got five principles. We looked at three of them last week, and just to review briefly so that it all sort of stays in context, the the three that I looked at last week were, first of all, recognize that trials are a form of training recognize that trials are a form of training and we looked at that key word paideia which we said the noun is used only six times in the new testament and four of them are right here in this section of hebrews uh, chapter 12 and then we said the verb form paideia is used another three times in this section so seven times you've got reference to this training or instruction or discipline so for example in Hebrews 12, 5, we read, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. And that's a key word, this idea of instruction. In fact, we talked about how that same word is used to apply to the Word of God in 2 Timothy 3:16, where it talks about how the Word of God trains us. So we need to recognize that trials are a form of training. Then we said respond with the right attitude when facing trials. If the purpose, in light of the purpose of trials, then it it should solicit the correct attitude. And we see that in verse 7, that we need to endure, endure chastening. And that word endure is a word that we've talked a lot about over the last few weeks, the word hupomeno, or the verb form uh, hupomone. And it just means fortitude, patience, steadfastness. And uh, that's what the right response to trials calls for. It It calls for fortitude. Uh, you know It's easy to trust God when all is going well, but when life throws you a curve, it becomes a little more difficult. And so we talked about uh, how James echoes this idea when he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And we actually made reference to that song, Count Your Blessings, and Jeff actually picked that. Uh, this week. I I just love the songs you pick. I mean he really spends time in prayer and thinking about the text. He has no idea what my sermon's going to be but we're both looking at the same passage of scripture and if we're true to the text we can tell what's coming and so he picks these passages and I was really encouraged that you picked Count Your Blessings. You know people aren't usually inspired by my singing to do something other than maybe run out of the room but last week when I kind of sang a little bit of this just because it just felt right, uh, he ended up uh, picking it. A great song and a great principle from God's Word to count our blessings, to look for the points of joy, look for what we have to be thankful for in the midst of trials. And then the last thing we looked at last week was to remember the goal of trials. And the writer said that no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And we talked about several things uh, goals of trial several ways that trials actually benefit us one of which is that it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness so i'd like to move into the second part of this and look at the final verses verses 12 uh, to 17 and the first thing that i see which is really number four in these principles is reach out to others who are going through trials so the writer is going to urge his readers and by extension us to take specific actions Uh, that would help themselves and others stand strong in the faith. And one of those is to remember that the body of Christ is a dynamic body. We're all in this together. The Christian life was never intended to be lived alone, in isolation. In fact, Proverbs says, A man who isolates himself rages against all sound wisdom. So we need each other. It's our duty to help other believers through trials. I remember reading a story one time about a giant sea turtle that was stranded on the shore. I think it was in Reader's Digest. But anyway, this sea turtle was a 300-pound loggerhead. And it had just laid eggs and then became somewhat disoriented and began walking in the wrong direction, not toward the ocean, but back up toward the sand dunes. And according to the story, some rangers came by and you know, pried this, this huge loggerhead f- from the sand and flipped her over onto her back. And then they tied chains around her legs and hooked them up to their jeep and they drug her back toward the sea. And when they got to the edge of the water, the rangers unhooked this turtle, flipped it back over and then the loggerhead kind of seeing where it was, getting its bearings, went back out into the sea where it belonged. And here's a picture of a big loggerhead. might have been just like the one that was in that story. You know, sometimes we get disoriented in life because of life's tests and trials. And, you know, like the Beatles said, we need a little help from our friends. You know, we need someone to come along and lift us up and help redirect us. Um, put us back on the right track. And thats uh, I think that's what the writer is saying here in this next section. But isn't that, wouldn't that be cool to have a turtle like that? Could you guys imagine riding that turtle around? On your pri- You could ride it all day. I mean, you'd only go like five feet, but you could ride it all day. It's not a roller coaster. No, it's definitely not a roller coaster. Yeah, there's sort of this contrasting themes emerging from today's message. Unintentionally, I assure you. So verse 12, the writer says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Now we'll look at the rest of this verse in a moment but this idea of strengthening the hands which hang down. You know, at the end of Paul's first missionary journey, and again, we don't know if Paul wrote Hebrews, but certainly Paul echoes the same idea. Uh, We read in Acts, sort of a summary, that when they had preached the gospel to that city and then made many disciples, they returned. Paul's kind of retracing his steps going back to Antioch. And he goes back to the cities he had visited in his outgoing journey, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. And it says, strengthening the souls of the disciples. Souls there meaning lives. Soul is a word in the Greek New Testament, psuke, that just means our whole being. It doesn't necessarily mean exclusively our immaterial part that goes to heaven or hell. For believers, heaven. But it means our whole being. So Paul says, we strengthen the souls of the disciples. And notice what he said, exhorting them to continue in the faith. which is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is doing. And so from the earliest days of the church, this has been a needed exhortation. And in the case of these believers that Luke is referring to here in Acts 14, uh, that Paul and their traveling companions uh, uh, had gone back and strengthened, they had only been saved a short time. I mean, he had just months earlier had led them to the Lord, shared the gospel with them. They responded in faith. They were new believers and already... They needed to be exhorted to continue in the faith. But notice specifically, what did he exhort them? He he said, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Now boy, there's so much packed into that one exhortation. First of all, it's yet another reminder that we see throughout the New Testament that we are not in the kingdom yet. (laughs) This, This kingdom now theology is not biblical and it's not helpful this is not the kingdom. This is the church age. We look forward to the kingdom, and that coming kingdom someday is a motivational factor. The writer of Hebrews refers to it many times. He talks about uh, the world to come, which is what we look forward to. I mean, this world, let's face it, it stinks. It's not always a happy place. There are obviously points of joy, joy. There are blessings. There are we talked about in our Bible study, our uh, seasons of revival and blessing and so forth. So God is very much at work, but in the grand scheme of things, but the Bible tells us the whole world today is under the sway of the wicked one. And we look forward to a new day to come. A better day is coming. We look forward to when Christ comes back, takes the throne, inaugurates the kingdom, and makes all things new. And what does Paul say here? He says, don't forget, new believers, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of god and we could go back even before the church age and see this is a frequent theme of god's leaders god's prophets speaking and reminding god's people like example for example the prophet isaiah he's talking here about a future tribulation time prophetically during the ultimate tribulation before the return of christ But he says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Certainly during that final seven year period that we talked about in our Bible study hour, it's going to reach unprecedented times of discouragement. And unprecedented cries for God to intervene. But even now, even then, 700 years before Christ, God's people needed to be reminded during times of persecution and trials, that God has not forsaken us. He will recompense. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul puts it this way, We exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, but watch, comfort the faint-hearted and uphold the weak. A key principle when it comes to tests and trials is that we're all in this together and we need to reach out to others who are going through trials. Now, if we go back to our text, the next thing in this same context that he says is to make straight paths for your feet. You know, this particular exhortation, as well as many others throughout the letter, reveals that some in his original audience were weak, were spiritually weak. Some today are spiritually weak. And so the writer urges them to build one another up so they could effectively walk without stumbling. That's what we need to do. We need to help people walk more steadily. He probably had Proverbs 4 in mind. You know, the writer we know quoted directly from Proverbs 3. So he was spending time in that uh, portion of the Old Testament. But in Proverbs 4, the principle is this. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. Evil in the Old Testament doesn't necessarily mean morally evil. It just means trouble, difficulty. So this idea of, you know, do not turn to the right or the left. If you, you know, we just had the Kentucky Derby. If you think about racehorses that often have blinders on, why? They want to stay focused on on the goal and not be distracted by what's around them. And boy, in the times of tests and, and trials, there is so much... Blowing up around us, that it's easy to to get distracted and look at every little thing that's happening. And he's saying, "No, no, ponder the path of, path of your feet. No, nowhere you're you're going." You know, I had to laugh this morning. I hope she doesn't mind me picking on her again. But uh, Faith drove from. To church this morning. It's been a while since she. Dri- oh, I'm getting the evil eye. Uh-oh. Uh, looks like it's gonna be Chick-fil-A shakes on the way, or not on Sunday. I guess we'll have to find another place. Uh, anyway, so she hadn't driven in a while, we just with the weather and all that. So it's been been a while. She's doing. She's got her learner's permit. And she's driving. So she got in in our driveway, and I saw her with her right foot going down. Like it looked like she was looking for the pedal. You know, she had to put her foot on the brake to start the car. So like I said, "Put your foot on the brake." start the car and and she was like looking like she couldn't find it now i'm sure that wasn't the case but i said honey it's the one on the left well she didn't appreciate my (laughs) sense of humor Uh, but you know you do sometimes need to look at your feet kind of get your bearings especially when you're going through something you haven't gone through for a while and that's i think is what proverbs is saying and that's what the writer of hebrews was saying he says so that what is lame may not be dislocated. Now that's a that's a really helpful word picture, isn't it? Because physically speaking, when you're walking on unstable ground, what happens? You might twist an ankle. You might step on an uneven spot. If you're hiking through the national forest, you might, even though there's well-worn paths, you know, a little rock or pine cone or something simple like that can cause you to really turn an ankle and really get hurt. In fact, that word dislocated, it's ectrepo. It means to be out of joint. It's the idea of being a physical bone, being dislocated. And the readers and us needed to stop turning away from their faith and keep walking that straight path ahead. And that's what we mean when we talked about a few messages ago, leaning into suffering. Do you remember that? You know, it's easy to repel from suffering and tests and trials. But it's kind of like trying to walk in a fierce storm when the wind is pushing you back. You need to lean in, you know, and, and, and you'll get through it. But if you give up, if you start looking to the right or the left, you're just going to get tossed aside. And to give in under the pressure of trials is to become dislocated. The readers needed a level path as they were continuing to walk uh, with the Lord. So reach out to others, who are going through uh, trials. Our own strength of faith can be a benefit to weaker Christians. And then finally, the fifth principle here is to remain faithful. To remain faithful. That's a theme that we've seen again and again and again. And it's not to be repetitious, it's just that's the undercurrent of it all. The, The ultimate principle comes down to Remain faithful, persevere, keep trusting uh, the Lord. You know, uh, we one of the lines that caught my eye from the song we sang when the saints go marching in is, "I'm just a weary pilgrim, plodding through this world of sin." Remember that line? Plodding—that's a good word, isn't it? Because that's really what it's about. Life isn't always a stroll; it's not always a, a run. Sometimes it's plotting, right? And uh, I had written down a a quote uh, of something that William Carey said uh, about his biographer who was writing William Carey's biography. and And William Carey said, quote, If he, my biographer, gives me credit for being a plotter, he will describe me justly. Anything beyond that will be too much. I can plod. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. And to this I owe everything. Plotting. Remaining faithful. The writer says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness. Now that's an interesting thing to interject here. It seems almost out of place, but it's true. We need to live peaceably with people as much as we can because peaceful interpersonal relationships foster godliness. You know, when you're going through a trial, and you're being tested and struggling it is very easy to to become touchy to become defensive to to lash out at people and first thing you know you've alienated people and it's especially important to remember how how vital peace and cooperation and right fellowship is during uh, trials peace with all people and holiness he said interesting you know, it's easier to be godly and holy when you're around godly people. And godliness and endurance seem to go together. A lack of endurance or giving up the faith or giving in when facing suffering or trials is not a godly thing. It's the exact opposite. Uh, but Peter, re, Peter reminds us that these two things go together. Remember uh, when he said... Uh, Giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness. See, there's a synergistic connection there, I think. James put it this way. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, remember, there's two aspects to our righteousness uh, in, in according to Scripture. We are once for all positionally righteous, declared righteous by God because of Christ's righteousness being given to us when we trust Christ. The moment we believe the gospel, we become positionally, permanently righteous. But then there's practical righteousness, and that is our behavior. And sometimes our behavior does not reflect our position in Christ. So another way to say that is sometimes our... Practical righteousness is lacking, even though our positional righteousness is just as much there. We are in Christ. Remember a few weeks ago we used that Barney Fife illustration of you know what it means to once again enslave yourself to, to sin or enslave yourself to the old man and he walked back into the jail cell there in Mayberry and closed the door behind him. Well that's that's the idea. We were always in Christ, positionally righteous, but the fruit of righteousness comes and goes as we yield to the Holy Spirit. But what's interesting here, talking about that practical righteousness, is James says that fruit is sown in peace. In peace. Again, it's easier to live godly when you're at peace with those around you. You're working together to face whatever the community might be facing. Or another verse that comes to mind is Paul's exhortation in Romans 14. Let us pursue things which make for peace and the things which may... Edify one another. So again, you see a connection here between being peaceful and helping one another. Strengthening the hands of others, to to put it the way the writer of Hebrews did. But in this case, edifying and encouraging one another. So back to our text, he says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. See, personal holiness should be a goal should be something we enthusiastically strive for, that practical righteousness I just talked about. Uh, Ultimately, no one can stand in God's presence without perfect righteousness, and since that's true, we ought to, even now, while we await our time face-to-face, either at death or when the Lord comes back, we ought to be reflecting that kind of righteousness. We ought to be a light in this uh, perverse generation. We ought to be salt and light, like uh, Jesus said. See, nobody can see the Lord unless they're righteous, ultimately. That's why we need Christ's righteousness given to us. And as those who have been declared righteous, we ought to reflect that righteousness. Remember, John said, someday when we see Him, we will be like Him. Only those who are like Him can be there. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 5:48, you've got to be perfect if you want to get into the kingdom of heaven. We can't be perfect on our own. We can't put band-aids on all of our sin problems. We can't take out our heart and do a heart transplant. We've got to receive by faith the Christ righteousness, that imputed righteousness. That's what John's saying. When he, when he talks about being like Him, He doesn't mean we're going to become gods or divine or de- deity. We're just going to be finally in a sinless reality once and for all. And what a day uh, that will be. Going back to the text, he goes on to say, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. See, that's what they were doing is neglecting God's grace. Remember, God's grace is sustaining grace here. We looked at this a lot last week when Jesus told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And those who don't embrace God's grace and welcome it and live by it, but rather turn their back on God and look, look away and then are blown away by the trials and become shipwrecked on the sidelines of faith are not going to be rewarded. They're not going to receive the blessing that God has for them. They may be in heaven someday, but Christian church is littered with people who have uh, fallen short of God's grace, God's sustaining grace. And so and then he goes on to say, You know when that happens that a root of bitterness can spring up and cause trouble and be a negative influence on others so it's still all part of this idea of remaining faithful and encouraging one another he's concerned that you know this idea that you know one bad apple spoils the whole uh, bunch Um, the writer ends this section Uh, With a well-known example of someone in Jewish history who did not endure. Who gave in to the pleasures of sin for a moment. And that is Esau. He says, you know, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Esau is a clear example of someone who apostatized. If you want to put it that way. He despised his inheritance and forfeited it to satisfy his immediate fleshly desires. And that's precisely what the writer warned his readers not to do in this entire letter. See, Esau could not regain his inheritance later. His decision had permanent consequences. He could not get Isaac to change his mind, even though he regretted his decision. Notice he said afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, a change of mind on the part of uh, Isaac. So if some of these believers in the the Hebrew community that the writer was writing to made the conscious and deliberate choice to depart from the Christian community in an effort to save their lives from persecution if they made the conscious choice to abandon their faith they would ultimately regret that foolish step and they would find that in the kingdom someday their inheritance their blessings were not as great as they could have been they were some of them irrevocably lost like Esau's and this is something the writer has continually warned about in his letter. Be faithful. Be faithful. The Christ who saved you also will be there to embrace you. And even if you pay the ultimate sacrifice, it will be worth it all when you see Jesus. Remain faithful. When I was a kid, I had one of those uh, plastic air filled, they were about this tall, maybe waist high at the time. And, uh, and they were these dolls that were had a heavy, round weight in the bottom, and then you'd blow them up, and then you could punch them, right? And they would fall over, and they'd bounce right back up, right? And uh, I used to pretend it was my sister. You know, it was really fun. But, uh, but anyway, you'd punch them, knock them down, they'd come, you know, right back up. Uh, it was kind of like the Weebles. Remember those from my, when I was a kid? They were little plastic uh, character toys. Uh, and, and the idea is Weebles wobble, but they don't, what fall down? I guess yeah. Weebles wall, but they don't fall down. They eventually had to quit selling them because kids were choking on them. But <laughs> both Weebles and these pop-up plastic toys uh, really served me well because I could punch the, the 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 plastic doll and imagine it was my sister, and I could throw the Weebles at her. So it worked out. <laughs> it worked out really uh, really well. But you know, I thought that old toy is a good picture of what it means to be faithful, right? You get knocked down. You have to bounce right back up. You know, God remember what we said. God's not always punishing you. <laughs> bad things are not always the result of something bad you did where God's just saying I'm going to get you. Sometimes it's part of life. The fallen world in which we live. And when you get knocked down, don't stay down. Keep going. Keep going. I I a long time ago I had this memorized. I don't anymore, but it's a it's a poem you've probably heard it and i don't know who wrote it to give credit to but it really illustrates i think well the benefits of remaining faithful and the poem goes like this two frogs fell into a deep cream bowl one was an optimistic soul but the other took the gloomy view we shall be drowned he cried without more ado so with a lasting with a last despairing cry he flung up his legs and said goodbye Quoth the other frog with a merry grim, I can't get out, but I won't give in. I'll just swim around till my strength is spent. Then will I die the more content. Bravely he swam till it would seem his struggles began to churn the cream. On the top of the butter at last he stopped, and out of the bowl he joyfully hopped. What of the moral? Tis easily found. If you can't hop out, keep swimming around. (laughs) can't hop out keep swimming around remain faithful (laughs) remain faithful so what have we said recognize that trials are a form of training respond with the right attitude remember the goal god's always doing something we may not remember it i mean we may not realize until it's over Uh, last week i think it was i talked about the time my plane got diverted from chicago to peoria well it turns out peoria is where i was going and so it actually was a fast track shortcut for me. I didn't have to change planes in O'Hare. and uh, So you just never know what the purpose of these trials may be. Reach out to others who are going through trials. We need each other. And your trial's coming next. (laughs) And I know you'll need help when you face your trial. And then remain faithful. Remain faithful. So tests and trials. Tests and trials. Does your life feel like a roller coaster ride sometimes? Ups downs, anxious moments, wondering what lies around the corner? Stay close to the Lord. I'll close with one final illustration. In one of your kitchen drawers at your house, you probably have a small metal mallet that looks like this. Anybody know what this is? It's a meat tenderizer. It would also make a great weapon. But yeah, it's a meat tenderizer. And, you know, uh, tenderizing meat, I'm not an expert, but, uh, you know, as far as I know, it can be done in at least two ways. Sometimes you can sprinkle tenderizer, tenderizing salt, right, on the steaks, and I'll do that. If we're going to grill steaks, I'll put the tenderizer on it first, if it's, if it's my job to cook them. And then I'll put seasoning, whatever kind of steak seasoning we want on it, and I'll just let them sit in the refrigerator for while soaking that up. And, and they become very tender. But sometimes meat has to be tenderized the hard way. And so you take this meat tenderizer and you just pound it again and again and again and again all over. And then you flip the steak over and you pound it again and again and again. Well, trials work the same way. you know. Trials have a purpose in God's plan. They're designed to soften us and make us more pliable and more like Christ in the image of Christ. And sometimes trials are long and slow. And we have to sit and wait for the change that God's trying to do in our life. Kind of like meat tenderizer. But boy, sometimes trials are hard and tumultuous and sudden. And they just come on with great pain. But we've got to respond appropriately and recognize that they're doing something in our lives. So the takeaway, building on what we said last week, is to train hard with the right attitude and remain faithful remain faithful. Whatever kind of trials you're facing, remain faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you again just for this reminder from your great word that is just so encouraging and useful and helping us. And Lord, it just cuts right through all the muck and mire of life and and really touches us where we need to be touched. And so Lord, help us to respond to the convicting work of your spirit as we study this these passages and help us to apply it to our lives and to conform uh, and do what it says. And Lord, I pray if there's one listening today that maybe doesn't know you, that they would recognize the first important crucial step is to take that initial step of faith, which is trusting your Son and our Savior who died and rose again for our sins to save us, to give us the free gift of eternal life, to forgive our sins. And having made that step of initial faith, to then walk by faith rooted and built up in you and so lord we we pray that if there's anyone who has not trusted you that today would be that day of simple faith and lord for believers we just pray that you would strengthen our faith as we abide the ups and downs of life in jesus name we pray amen, amen. let's stand together second corinthians six sixteen says you are the temple of